I need you to turn with me uh, to the last book in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 21 this morning. And uh, we're continuing in a what I pray is an encouraging and exciting series for you that we've entitled Heaven, Our Forever Home. Revelation 21 this morning, and as, as you're making your way there and the choir's making their way down, I read a cute story uh, this past week. The day finally arrived. Forrest Gump dies and goes to heaven. He's met there at the pearly gates by St. Peter, and the gates are closed, but Forrest approaches the gatekeeper, and Simon Peter says, Well, Forrest, certainly good to see you. We've heard a lot about you. I've got to let you know that the place is filling up fast, and we've been kind of administering and kind of an entrance examination for everybody. The test is fairly short, but you need to pass it before you get into heaven. Forrest looked back at Simon Peter and said, Well, sure is good to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Nobody told me about a, a test. And, man, I had enough tests when I was down there on earth, but okay. And so Simon Peter says, Well, there's three questions. They're pretty simple, but I'll, I'll give you some time to think about them. And he says, Here's the first question What days of the week begin with the letter T? That's the first question. Second question is, How many seconds are there in a year? And the third question is, What is God's name? Forrest goes over on the side to think about it for a little bit, and the next day he shows back up, standing over to the side again, and Simon Peter looks over and sees Forrest there, and he said, well, have you had a chance to think about the question? He said, yes, sir. He said, do you think you know the answers? He said, well, I'm going to do my best. And he said, all right, the very first question is, how many days of the week begin with the letter T? Forrest says, well, that's easy, <laughs> today and tomorrow. <laughs> Simon Peter looks at him and says, well, that's not exactly what I was looking for, but I, I can see where your logic is, so I'm going to kind of give you that one. He said, all right, the second question is, how many seconds are there in a year? And he said, well, I had to think about that one for a little bit. And I thunk about it and thunk about it. And I think that I know the answer. He says, there's 12. He said, some people said, 12? He said, where do you get that from? He said, well, uh, there's 12 because there's January 2nd and February 2nd. And <laughs> Simon Peter says, well, again, that's not really what I was looking for, but I can see your logic, and so I'm going to give you that. Well, the last one, you've got to get the last one. What, what is God's name and he said well I, man that's nothing to that one I, I figured that one everybody knows that one I said well what is it he said it's Howard he said what Howard he said where do you get Howard the, the prayer what prayer the Lord's prayer yeah the Lord's prayer our father who art in heaven Howard be your name look right here none of that's true not one bit of it, Peter, Forrest, none of, that, none of that is true. But what we're looking at here on Sunday mornings is absolutely true because it comes out of the Bible, the Word of God. So if you're a guest here this morning, uh, we've been in a series of studies over the last couple of weeks uh, on heaven. And so far in our series, we've, we've seen uh, what the Bible has to say about how you can plan for the most exciting trip ever. Uh, last Sunday morning, we, we learned what happens when and after we die. And this morning, uh, we're going to get to get even more practical and specific as we look at what I'm calling a trip advisor uh, for heaven. And you know what I'm talking about, right? So whenever we're going to take a trip somewhere, if you're like me, uh, sometimes I'll go and buy one of those books that you can get off of Amazon. You used to could get them at, at, at the uh, bookstores. Uh, you've got uh, Frommer's Guide to Portugal or Great Britain. You've got Fodor's Essential Guide to Scotland or Ireland or, or Japan. Why? Because before you want to make a trip, you want to know everything that you possibly can about the place where uh, you're planning on traveling to. You want to know what's the best place to eat, right? What are the must-sees and the must-dos? 
How can you make the most out of your trip? Well, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, then heaven is your final forever destination. It's your new hometown. And so here's the question for us uh, this morning. What will there be to do when you finally get to where you're going? What will you and I be doing when we get to our new heavenly hometown? I can tell you this right here this morning. It's not going to be boring, despite what we see in the cartoons and read about in books and watch on, on uh, TV and movies. Uh, we're not going to sit around all day on clouds strumming a heart forever or just kind of floating around in some sort of a foggy dream for all of eternity. C.S. Lewis had this to say about those who don't understand what the Bible teaches about heaven. He said, quote, There's no need to be worried by facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they do, don't want to spend for eternity playing harps. The answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. In other words, keep heaven out of your mouth if you don't believe or know what the Bible has to say about heaven. And so the Apostle John would have given C.S. Lewis a great big amen. Listen to what he has to say about our final forever eternal destination in Revelation 21. And if you have made your way there, say amen. John says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear. Say every tear. Every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write. For these words are true and faithful. Look over to that next chapter, Revelation 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of it, the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. Then they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no light nor lamp of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. If you were with me last Sunday morning, you remember that we read where the Bible teaches that when a Christian dies, their soul and spirit immediately goes to be with Jesus. The Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The moment, the second, the instant that we die as Christians, we are in the presence of Jesus. Whether you want to call it Abraham's bosom or paradise, even though it's heavenly in nature, it's not the final heaven, because John just said there in Revelation chapter 21 that God's going to create, quote, a new heaven and a new earth. Think about this. Just like Jesus redeems us and one day is going to resurrect our body, one of these days he's going to redeem and resurrect this old world. Paul Eames wrote these words. He said, 
while we look forward to a new heaven, let's first consider the new earth. For the new earth will indeed be like heaven on earth. We will live on a restored earth. The new earth will be complete. God's program. It will be what God intended for Adam and Eve in heaven. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to get you ready. If you're going to heaven, I want to help you get ready to go and see and be a part of that amazing, beautiful, wonderful, eternal place called heaven. If we as Christians, as children of God, are going to live there forever and ever and ever, then don't you think that we need to know a little bit about what the Bible has to teach, about where we're going and what we're going to be doing. I'm going to say it one more time here this morning. Don't ever get the idea that heaven's going to be tiresome or boring or a drag ever again. If you can understand the four or five things that I'm going to share with you here this morning, I think we can put that, put that question uh, to bed. Here's the very first thing if you're taking notes uh, this morning. You can get your pen out, your paper out. If you're like that young lady out at West Campus, she always pulls out the notes app on her iPhone. I don't care how you do it. Uh, just write these down and, and collect them somewhere this morning. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes about the adventure of heaven. Do you notice how John describes it? John strains the human vocabulary. He stretches our human imagination, just trying to get us to understand how beautiful and wonderful heaven is going to be. Streets of gold, jasper walls, uh, you got pearly gates. Look what he says in chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. Think about that, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And so Kim and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. God has blessed us. I mean, for two kids from West Tennessee, I mean, from a town, our zip code was E-I-E-I-O. We were, we, were, we were raised in the middle of nowhere. We're headed back to that general vicinity uh, this coming week. And uh, for two kids from rural West Tennessee, God has allowed us to go and see and be a part of some beautiful places. And we were just kind of thinking through that uh, a couple of weeks ago where God's let So I was raised, and I, I saw the Smoky Mountains, but the Rocky Mountains. You, you ever seen the Rocky Mountains, how beautiful, majestic the Rocky Mountains are? And then uh, next to the Rocky Mountains, you've got, of course, the Grand Canyon. To stand there on the south rim of the Grand Canyon. Uh, you've got a couple of weeks ago, Grand Cayman. I think I told you I've never been to a beach that pretty in all my life, and I'm kind of a beach bum. And you're, you can walk out into that water, stand up to, the, to, up to your neck, look down, and see your feet. I mean, the water is so clear, which is really neat, kind of. Because it's so clear you can see the stuff swimming around you. If you'll go with me next year, I really want you to. If you go with me on the journeys of Paul, we'll go to Santorini, which is my favorite place on the planet. I haven't been anywhere nearly as beautiful as Santorini. And if, we, if you go with me, we'll, get, we'll travel up there to Oya, which is the little village on the, the far end of, uh, of, the, of the little island there. And you can look out over those blue chapels. Santorini is absolutely beautiful. You've got Athens, Mars Hill, the Parthenon. You've got Petra. Think about in your mind for just a second, the most beautiful place in this world that you have ever been. How many of y'all got that in your mind? Don't, don't, you got that in mind? Look at me, shake your head. The most beautiful place that you've ever been. This means yes, where I'm from. And I want you to understand this. No matter where it is or what it is, it will be a dump when you get a glimpse of that heavenly city that John describes for us here in Revelation 21 and 22. Think about this. By the way, just think about this on top of all that. This is just the capital city. This is just what, what John just described for us. That's just the capital city. 
You talk about an eternity of adventure. There are galaxies and solar systems and planets that we're going to be able to, to, to explore. And I think that's one of the things that's always intrigued and interested and inspired me, the adventurous, exploring spirit that God put down deep inside of us. Man has always had this deep, driving desire to explore, and it's that desire that, 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 that compelled man to find the new world that launched us into outer space and caused us to dive into the depths of the oceans. So I'm I'm a child of the 70s and 80s, right? And so part of the soundtrack of my life had these words on it. See if they're familiar to it. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the... Yeah. Well, I have news for Captain Kirk or Picard if you're younger. Outer space is not the final frontier. Heaven is. And we'll be able to explore all of creation without having to have an Enterprise or a Voyager or a SpaceX or anything like that. Uh, Randy Alcorn put it this way. He said, for the Christian, death is not the end of adventure, but a doorway from a world where dreams and adventures shrink to a world where dreams and adventures forever expand. The very first thing this morning is the adventure of heaven. Number two, if you're taking notes, is the associations of heaven. Because when we get to heaven, we're not just going to have acquaintances. You know, down here, we have acquaintances. We'll be out somewhere, and somebody will come up and talk to me, and my wife will say, hey, do you know them? Well, I, I recognize the face. We have, we have acquaintances. When we get to heaven, we're going to have deep, meaningful relationships on the most profound level. And it's going to be a bunch of people up there. Look what he says in Revelation 7, verse 9. John writes, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing therefore before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. By the way, I don't think that that means we're going to wear white robes and wave palm branches forever and ever and ever. I think this is heaven's coronation event, kind of like what we saw take place over in Great Britain uh, back in May with the coronation of the new king. But did you notice what Jesus, what John said that he saw in heaven? There are going to be people from every nation, uh, tribe, people, and language, and we're all going to be family, fellow citizens of heaven. Think about all the people that you've read about in your Bible since you were knee-high to a grasshopper. You're going to be able to get to know them and ask them all kinds of questions. Adam and Eve and Joshua, Rahab and Daniel, David and Matthew, Mary and Paul and Peter and John. And think about all the questions. I got, I got questions. What did that snake really look like? And not just that. You didn't think it was weird when it started talking? Were you used to that? What did it feel like? What did it sound like when those walls came a-tumbling down? How afraid were you to let those spies down over the side of that city wall? What, what was it like? Tell me. What was it like? to spend a night in a lion's den. Here's one. So tell me. Just how big was Goliath? What did it sound like when you gave him a piece of the rock? Was a thud? What did it sound like? 
How afraid were you when the angel told you that you were pregnant with the Messiah? What was it like to walk on water? How long did it take you to write down the revelation and just how excited were you to see all that that you were seeing? And so here's the question that was asked all last week. And I'm not really sure, I'll get into it. Will we know our family members in heaven? That was asked. Will we know our family members in heaven? You bet. You absolutely. You'll know them better than you ever knew them down here. And not only that, you'll know everybody in heaven better than you knew your closest friends and families when, when you were down here on this earth. You say, Pastor, what about my baby that died? Will I know them? Absolutely. And you will know them the way that they would have been if Adam and Eve had never sinned in all of their vitality and potential that they would have had in this life. Remember when King David's baby died? Uh, the Bible says this in 2 Samuel 12. David says, but now he's dead. Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that David's in heaven. That means he's there today with his son who died as a baby. You know, one of the things about pastoring a church the size of Abilene that I don't really care for sometimes is a struggle because I'm a people person. I don't get to know you the way that I want to know you. You say, if you think you have a hard time, we, 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 you, I'm just glad you want to know me, right? But can you imagine what it's going to be like when we get to heaven? When we get to heaven, I'm going to really know you and you're going to really know me. Dan Schaefer wrote this in his book entitled A Better Country, Preparing for Heaven. He said, heaven will be a city of new people, regenerated, renewed, and perfect. Imagine upon arriving in heaven that you discovered to your delight that the first person you met loved you so dearly and deeply that it fairly took your breath away and that this expression of love neither embarrassed you nor made you feel strange. You were able to receive this person's love as easily as he or she was able to give it. Then imagine the next person you met loved you with an equivalent but unique perfect love as well. On earth, all of our love is sin-infected and sin-affected the best of our loves has to struggle with resentment, envy, jealousy, pride, anger, and other sinful ingredients. In heaven, each person will be a new best friend. There's the adventure of heaven and the association of heaven. Number three, there's the atmosphere of heaven. Notice how John describes what he saw and heard when he arrived in heaven. Revelation 5, verse 6, he says, And I looked. And behold, in the midst of the throne of the, of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So... What you have here in Revelation chapter 5, this is John's account of when the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, steps forward, opens up the scroll, and announces the final scene of, in the drama of this age. I don't know about you, but I love worship, right? Man, I love coming to church. I love being with my church family. I love preaching and teaching the Bible. I love seeing lives change. And I've pastored Abilene now for over 11 years, 11 years. And for over a decade, every single weekend, whether it's Saturday or Sunday, I have said something very much like this. I tweeted it again this morning. It's Sunday, my favorite day of the week. 
I can't wait to gather with my Abilene family to worship King Jesus. I love worship. I love gathering for worship. I love, I love being in worship, and I know that. I can't wait to get in, and some of y'all can't wait to get out. Man, I enjoy worship, and some of you all barely endure it. And so the idea for some of you all this morning of basically an eternal church worship service probably doesn't sound all that all that great. John Eldridge, he wrote, We have settled on an image of the never-ending sing-along in the sky. One great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen. And our heart sings, forever and ever, that's it. That's the good news. And then we sigh and feel guilty that we're not more spiritual. We lose heart and we turn once more to the present to find what life we can. Okay. Everybody look right up here. Take a deep breath. Everybody together. Count to three. I got great news for you. Heaven is not going to be 10,000 verses of some praise chorus. It's not going to be 10,000 verses of some old hymn either. And this right here kind of bothers me because I love to preach so much, but I, but I have to tell you this morning that heaven's not going to be a sermon that lasts for 100 years. That's not what heaven's going to be like at all. What, what I mean by the atmosphere of heaven is that praise and worship will kind of be like the soundtrack of your favorite movie. The music is there, maybe in the background, but it's enriching the, the, the enjoyment of all your experience in heaven. When I'm working on a sermon or when I was finishing up my dissertation, when I'm driving down the road like I will be uh, this week, a lot of times I'll, I'll put worship music on. And it's just kind of playing there in, in the background. But then every now and then there'll come a song that will come on that I just absolutely love. And I'll just start singing out loud, Saddle up your horses. Now hold on to that just for a second. That's the way it's going to be in heaven. John says in Revelation 14 that it will be a new song, but it'll be a song that you know the words and the tunes. You say, but pastor, I, I'm kind of like you. I can't sing. What about in heaven? When you get to heaven, you'll be able to sing, and I'll be able to sing, right? As a matter of fact, we'll sing better than anybody on earth has ever sung before, better than Adele or Elvis or Pavarotti. We'll be able to sing forever and ever and ever. There's the adventure of heaven and the association of heaven. There's the atmosphere of heaven. Number, number four, there's the activity of heaven. Look in chapter 22, verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. We're not going to spend all of eternity sitting on a cloud watching football games. Praise God. We're going to be serving the Lord, ruling and reigning with Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Jesus told a parable about a, about, about a faithful servant and how we're supposed to use the gifts, talents, and abilities that he's given to us in earth and service for him. And here's what Jesus said to that faithful servant in Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. If we're faithful with what he's giving us down here, he'll give us more and greater responsibilities when we get up there. Second Corinthians, Paul asked two questions. Paul asked, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And then he asked this question, do you not know that we shall judge angels? We will work and serve Jesus in heaven, but we're not going to get tired or bored or worn out. We're going to be energized and fulfilled as we're able to do something that is absolutely amazing and out of this world. One preacher put it this way. He said, we'll be working with the kind of euphoria you golfers got when you hit your first hole in one. Anybody know what that feels like? Can I see your hand? Raise your hand. You know what that feels like? I don't know what that feels like. You're going to feel the way you felt when you got that game-winning home run, when you won the race, when you graduated from college, when, when you got that promotion. That's what it's going to feel like serving our Savior in heaven. Randy Alcorn wrote this. He said, we will have work to do. The idea of working in heaven is foreign to many people, yet Scripture teaches it. When God created Adam, he took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. Work was part of the original Eden. It was part of a perfect human life. God himself is a worker. He didn't create the world and then retire. Jesus said, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus found satisfaction in his work. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We all, we'll also have work to do, satisfying and enriching work that we can't wait to get back to, work that's never a drudgery. God is the primary worker, watch this, and as his image bearers, we're made to work. We create, accomplish, set goals, and fulfill them to God's glory. And here's the last thing this morning. Now, save the best for last. There's the adoration of heaven. Because the highlight of heaven is not going to be seeing the pearly gates, walking streets of gold, or even hearing the angels sing. The highlight of heaven will be seeing the face of Jesus. Look what he says in Revelation 22, verse 4, as we get ready to close. He said, they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Paul put it this way, he said, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. What's that mean? It's, it's kind of describing what it's like to look into a dirty, dingy mirror. You can sometimes make out the form every now and then, get a little bits and pieces, but you can't see clearly and wholly. But when we get to heaven and look full into his wonderful face, John says that his name is going to be on our foreheads. What, what does that mean? I think that it means that he will be first and foremost in our thoughts and minds. I've had several folks ask me this question this week, and I, I'm not exactly sure how to, how to take it. I'm not sure what kind of example, what kind of answer they're looking for. I'll just throw it out there for you this morning and see how you respond to it. Will we be married in heaven? Not sure what you're looking for. Let me give you the Bible answer to it. You bet. 
we will be married in heaven. We'll be married to Jesus because the church is the bride of Christ. To quote Don Schaefer one last time, he said, contrary to what you have probably heard, we will be married in heaven, not to our spouses, but to the Lord himself. We will finally become fully his, the object of his eternal love and devotion. Human marriage was always meant to be but a foreshadow of things to come. Paul calls the relationship between Jesus and the church, quote, a profound mystery, but makes clear that it relates to what he is really talking about, Christ and the church. In heaven, in his presence forever, we will finally eat the banquet for which all human marriages and loves were but hors d'oeuvres. We will not miss having the one relationship through which we find our life and fulfillment, for we shall finally experience the real thing with our Lord. When you finally get to heaven and you see Jesus face to face, all of your deepest longings for love, acceptance, and intimacy will finally be fulfilled you might be here this morning and you're married single widowed or divorced when you get to heaven all other and previous relationships or lack thereof will be eclipsed by a powerful love relationship with Jesus let me wrap it up Randy Alcorn has wrote the definitive book on heaven and he shares the following he says when John saw Jesus in heaven he fell at his feet as though dead we will see Christ in His glory, the most exhilarating experiences on earth, such as whitewater rafting, skydiving, or extreme sports, will seem tame compared to the thrill of seeing Jesus being with Him, gazing at Him, talking with Him, worshiping with Him, embracing Him, eating with Him, and walking with Him, laughing with Him. Imagine it. Not only will we see His face and live, but we will likely wonder if we've ever lived before we saw His face. To see God will be our greatest joy, the joy by which all others will be measured. One last question I'd have to ask you. I need to ask you this question about heaven this morning as I close, and here's the question. Will you be there? Will you be there? Following a campaign speech, a young man rushed up to Senator Everett Dirksen and said, Senator, I wouldn't vote for you if you were St. Peter. That'll bless you. The senator thought about it for a moment, looked back at that young man and said, Son, if I were St. Peter, you couldn't vote for me because you wouldn't be in my district. When you die, make sure you're in heaven's district. Or else you'll miss out on the greatest destination in all of eternity.